And do you, do you guys know how he sold the first game? Mm -mm. So he and um, he met he met Sid Meier and they started working on the first title. And what Wild Bill did for a few weeks was he would call computer stores around the U.S. and ask for the title if they had the title in stock. So no one had, of course, because you know they hadn't Micropulse hadn't sold the title yet to those companies. And a few weeks later, he would call the same the same stores and uh, tell them that they had this game to sell. And the store started to get to buy the games because they thought they were guys looking for oh, the man. games. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is old time. Remember, this uh, everything everything Pretty goes in, in the old days. That's fantastic. <laughs> Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. Welcome back to another episode of the Air Combat Sim Podcast. Uh, today we are joined by Sergio uh, from Micropose, and uh, hopefully we can get some questions asked by the community um, answered and, uh, you know, see what he has to say and see what Micropose has been up to and what their plans are for the future. Uh, so welcome, Sergio. How are you doing? Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm fine. Thank you. And you guys? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I really appreciate you spending the time to come talk to us. Uh, it's really awesome. Yeah, sure thing. My pleasure. Today we're also joined by, uh, we got Sport. How are you doing, Sport? Very well, thank you. I uh, appreciate you having me back on. Sure thing. And we got Red Kite. How's it going, Red Kite? Hey guys, yeah, I'm reasonably good. I'm starting to be uh, hit by hay fevers. That's no fun, but uh, yeah, I'm good. Oh, the seasonals. Not my favorite time of year either. We also have uh, Max Waldorf. How's it going, Max? Fine, thank you. I'm happy to be back, and especially for this episode with uh, an epic name like this one. I'm sure you've been uh, chomping at the bit for a while. <laughs> ah, well, yeah, for sure. We also have Goat. How's it going, Goat? Uh, doing well. Good. And we have Baltic Dragon. Hey, Baltic, how's it going? Hey, it's all good, thanks. Glad to be here again. Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, we'll just jump right into this one. I know uh, I know everybody's anxious to ask the questions they want to ask and whatnot, but Sergio, uh, what's what brought Micropose back into the game? What what kind of uh, dis, you know pushed you guys to say, hey, let's let's start doing this again? Yeah, well, um, this actually started about twenty years ago uh, when um, David Lagerty, see the current CEO of Micropose, started to wonder what was it that happened to the company and started investigating and trying the, to dig in to find out what happened to the brand and to the company itself and to the IPs that it had. And um, after after almost 20 years, I wouldn't say it's 20 years, but almost 20 years because the process has begun quite earlier than 2020, um, David decided to purchase the actual brand, start tracking the IPs and just bring the company back. Now, one thing that you guys need that I would like to, I would like you guys to understand is that David is David is a gamer like us, right? He has a lot of memories from Microprose. He loves Microprose. He is really uh, into getting all that nostalgia and all, all that feeling that Microprose uh, gave us when we were kids, when when we were younger. And um, in the process, he meanwhile uh, met uh, and talked to. Bill Seely, one of the co-founders of Microprose, along with um, with Sid Meier, and um, Bill Steele has been helping him since then. So basically, what brought Microprose back from uh, I, I wouldn't say from the dead, but from the limbo, from the limbo it was at, it was pretty much the love for the brand and the love for those games that Microprose did so well back in the. That's awesome. Um, it, it's good to hear that he's also a gamer. Oh yeah, uh, good, good things come <laughs> from that usually. I was wondering, do you still have Miss Micropose, the T twenty eight aircraft that uh, Steeling used to own? I'm not sure if he still does or not. Uh, I have no idea. I don't. That's a shame because it uh, it snuck into a couple of the games over the years. Like it's in uh, Fleet Defender, I believe. Yeah, I really don't. I couldn't handle. I, I cannot answer. Fair enough. 
So um, you guys made the announcement recently of uh, uh, three new games uh, under your brand that you're going to bring out. Um, we had uh, Second Front, which looked like it was like a turn-based um, tactical World War II game. Is that right? Yep, it is. Yeah. And then there was Sea Power, which uh, is it the same developer as... Um, oh, shoot. The name's, the name's skipping out on me now. Uh, cold waters no it's not no it's not it's from one of the guys that used cold waters it's not oh, it's I not see. yeah it's not the same okay and that's just kind of like a like a naval combat um again probably strategic yeah it's a naval combat simulator strategic and rts um it's it, it's actually quite funny because as I, I i was as i was talking to david Lagetti about about the games and we were talking about other title um this task force admiral um i was thinking that it would be really cool if we had some uh Cold War uh, naval simulator. It's something that I, I was I was sure that uh, a lot of the guys from my generation would you know would like to get their hands into. And a couple of days after that, David just told me that they had signed with these guys that were doing this this naval this naval strategic game that was it was passed in the in the Cold War. So um, it it was kind of it was kind of fun that that happened, and I'm I'm really glad that they did because I think a lot of the guys out there will love the game, will love the theme. It's something that we grew up with. It's something that, for sure, will make a lot of players happy. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Just the, the screenshots—they look—they look pretty amazing. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, everybody loves a good tactical war game, anyway. Yeah. At least, at least in this genre, most people do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not that there's a lack of um, of games out there, but I think that you know, with this death with the ideas that these guys are, are putting into the game, dedication and the passion. So I think it's all there. Yeah, I agree. And then the, the third one was uh, uh, Task Force Admiral. Yeah. Now, that one's a little bit different. It's Is it still kind of a naval strategy game or...? It is. It is. Uh, it's uh, it's almost the same kind as um, as Sea Power, but it, instead of being on the on the Cold War, it's a World War II game. It has some differences from from Sea Power. You you will be able to do different playability. Gameplay is a bit is a bit different as as well. So it's not it's not the same game, but they are basically uh, they are the same genre. They are in the same genre. Just a, which I also I also enjoy. I'm a I'm a I'm a World War II um aficionado i love i love those old warbirds and those uh, very old ships and um it, it, those those times uh back in world war ii were very tough and one 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 of the things that the guys um are doing is um is, is going to bring this extra layer of death to the game because once you if you just if you launch your aircraft to do some scouting or an attack or something tell them to keep you know to, to keep radio silence you will not know where the aircraft are right so it's um it's a bit of, it, it's it's very different when you compare with sea power in the sense that sea power eventually um, has a lot of different systems and detection systems and a lot of very modern uh, machinery which allows you to have a, a better perception of the world around you and what's going on on the battlefield um task force admiral is quite the opposite you know if you if you are not careful, you can lose a lot of your aircraft just by the sheer fact that you cannot communicate with them and you are not on the place, on your, your carriers are not on the place that they are expecting them to be. They will, the fuel will eventually run out and they will eventually have to bring their planes to the ocean or try to crash on an island or something like that. So although they are in the same genre, they present very different and very cool um, challenges for the players. So I think that if you are a fan of the genre, it's not a matter of, you know, choosing one or the other. I I personally will play both just because of that, because they have completely different challenges and I love both. That sounds awesome. I, uh, I, yeah, the, the, the sea power one intrigues me a bit more. I like a bit more of the modern stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but task force Admiral, um, I think I watched a video from, uh, mags. That one looks really cool. Oh, yeah. Also, It's a great video. I love, I love watching that. Oh yeah. We should get him on the show. I just thought of that. Um, uh, and then, uh, just a few days ago, big, big announcement. And I believe, uh, the, the second front sea power and task force admiral, those were all, you're just publishing those games. You guys aren't the actual developers. Yeah. We're not developing them. We're just publishing. There gotcha. are three different companies uh, developing. Them. Gotcha. And then, uh, just a couple of days ago, you guys, uh, came and said, you're making this, this new one called the mighty eight. Yeah. And that one's under your guys's 
that's um, yeah. name. Yeah, that's ours. That's an internet. That's an internal development. Uh, it's the first um, microprose title that we are now. That's awesome. Actually, and this this is a VR first game where yeah. uh, it's is the focus is co op play. Uh, it's not the focus. Uh, you, the player will be able to play a campaign. Um, okay. Of uh, uh, we're we're planning at something like you know, the regular twenty five meters uh, with a backstory. Um, mm -hmm. then let, let, let me just start by saying that we want we want this we want the Mighty Eighth to be um, not to be just a game but to be more of an experience. You know, we want right. the player to be in the middle of a very rich story, very rich environment. And puts in a, in a position where everything it does um, has has an outcome, and it makes a difference, right? So it's not just about flying the B seventeen or being inside the B seventeen. It's, exper it's experiencing the B seventeen and those times, those very troubled times. Uh, so, for example, um, one of the things that we have on the on the announcement, if you if you read it, it's the fact that you will be able to do um, some repairs. For example, if something happens to the airplane, and you can do those repairs, like for example, a snapped cable, um, an engine on fire, or something like that, right? So it's not just about getting into the aircraft, shooting some aircraft that, that are trying to shoot you back. Um, it's it's a bit more. It's living the experience of a crew member, and like you said, it is a VR first. But it's not a VR only. It's not a VR exclusive title. It's uh, we want people to experiment, to experience VR and get into the game in VR. But of course, we cannot forget those that are not using VR or don't want to use VR at all, right? So it's uh, it's an experience for 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 everyone. Um, but you do have the single player campaign that you are going to play if you want to. Obviously, I think most players will. And you do have the co-op part in which you can play with up to nine other guys and other friends and um, be part of uh, the crew that's flying that aircraft, that B-17 or the P-24 and doing those missions. That sounds amazing. And uh, we also have uh, Sport with us here. And Sport, you uh, have flown the B-17 as part of the Collins Foundation, right? That's correct. Uh, I have about a hundred hours of flight time in the B-17 and about 20 hours of flight time in the B-24. So when I heard this was coming out and was going to be uh, a VR experience, obviously, I'm, I got incredibly excited. Um, so it's good to meet you and, and happy to see the work you guys are doing. Um, what stage of the war is this going to sort of cover? Are these going to be late model um, aircraft? Are they going to be sort of mid-war, that sort of 1943 to 1944, where 25 missions was a significant milestone? Or was it going to be later, like uh, the G models in 1944 and 45? I think we're aiming more at the middle. Um, at, at the fact that the, that milestone, that 24 mission, 25 mission, sorry, a milestone was it was actually big. We are still working on the story. Like I said, this we want this to be a very rich game in terms of story and background. And uh, we do have a story, the story written, but we are tweaking and um, trying to find what makes more sense um, in regards with what we can get the player to experience. I personally believe that the 25, the 25 mission mark, it's um, is it's, it's something that gets the player. Of course, that we can we can have we can have pretty much all the objectives that you, that we wanted to put in the game, right? But I think that the the 25 mission mark, it's a classic. You know, it's something that pretty much all the fans or everyone that uh, knows about World War II and these bombers and these crews knows about. And um, it was somewhat of a of um, it, it was quite an quite an achievement, right? It was quite an achievement. So I think that this is important. We will probably center the story around around that era. So from a full fidelity standpoint, um, well, first of all, are the aircraft or is the simulation of this event going to be full fidelity, where every crew station will have realistic controls and interaction? Um, and will players be given the opportunity to fly a complete, you know? multi-hour mission or will this be broken down into story segments along a uh, you know different sec you know sections of a mission that's a tricky question that's actually a tricky question and um 
we are we are still making a lot of decisions in terms of game design and what works for the player. In terms of realism, let, let me start by that. In terms of realism of controls and what's going on with the aircraft and how the aircraft behaves and flight dynamics and whatnot, um, I would not expect a full realism in terms of you have to spend this amount of time to get the B-17 to start, et cetera, et cetera. We want to make it, like I said, we want to make it an experience, but an experience that it's accessible to everyone. I'm not saying that we are completely discarding the fact that you will be able to uh, start up the B-17 from scratch. But if we do that, we'll have to offer a way for people to start with the engines on or to have some sort of auto start or something like that. Everything else that goes on, goes around you, we want to make it as realistic as possible in terms of ballistic, in terms of uh, physics, in terms of flight dynamics. If it, Even if we don't get all the switches to work exactly as they were, and again, I'm not saying that we won't, I'm saying that even if we don't do that, we want the aircraft to behave realistically in the air. And we want you to feel that you are flying through a mass of air and you are flying a very heavy aircraft. And you, that after you drop your bombs, you feel the difference in the weight. And uh, when the aircraft is, you know, portion of the aircraft disappears, a bit of the wing or the rudder or the fuselage or something that, you know, you can feel those effects. So... In that term, in terms of the actual physics and flight dynamics, we want to to give you something that's as realistic as possible without um, without having to make you an actual B seventeen pilot. Okay, I'm not again. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying we're not going to do that. I'm saying that we need to cater for as many people as possible because this is not an actual flight simulator uh, like, for example, other simulators that are there like DCS and explain or not. This is a this is a game about you being a crew member of um, B seventeen or B twenty four, and that's a really I think you make an incredibly valid point there, and it's an important distinction that um, it's easy to lose sight of the gameplay that you know factor in the pursuit of ultimate realism. Um, you need to make it fun as well, and you need to like you said, you need to make it accessible. So I, I totally respect that, and I think that's going to be something that everybody can look forward to. Yeah, you know, it's 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 something that we something that we want to do at Micro, right? Like like I was saying at the beginning of the interview, David is a is a gamer and um, he loves games and he loves what Micropros did back in the old days. And what we loved with Micropros was not just the fact that Micropros did some realistic uh, flight simulators or whatnot. It was the fact that it involved you in the story and involved you in the game. And that's our goal. We don't want to. Just do a flight simulator. It's flight simulator that, as as realistic as it is, and let me just say this, um, you know, upfront. I'm a simmer. Okay, my background, most of my background has to do with flight simulator. So I'm I'm a simmer. So I know I use several sims. Um, so I, I know I know what goes behind the passion of simming of flight simming. But the fact is that, and this is something that I have personally felt for a long, long time. As much as simulators, flight simulators have evolved technically, I this is just my personal opinion, but it kind of feels soulless to me. You know, it's just, um, yeah, you can do missions in DCS and whatnot, but the thing is, um, it, I feel like I'm just thrown into the scene and push all those buttons and pull all those levers and do all, you know, and learn all those systems. But I kind of feel lost in the middle of so many, so much thing to do to control the aircraft but I'm not engaged in the story. And this is something that we at Micropros want to change, right? We want to engage the user into the story. We want to make all sorts of games. We want to make them fun. We want to make them accessible to everyone. Um, when, and when I say accessible to everyone, it's actually accessible to everyone. It's not, I'm not discarding the guys that like realistic. Um, I don't like the expression, but uh, I, I use it with quotes so that you can understand. A study level sim, okay? But we also want to, guys, we want to, to be able to offer something to the guys that are not into study level sims, but they just want to live the story and feel like they are part of something that in what they do makes a difference in the story that they are living. That's what we are trying to, to do with Microprose. And that's a lot of what we want to do with this uh, with the Mighty Eighth, which is quite a title. It's a classic. It's something that everyone knows, everyone loves. So we have to do this right, but we don't just we don't want to just make it right. We want to make it very special, right? So this has has got to go beyond just being the technical 
part or the technical things of having this base 17 or B24 or whatever with a lot of buttons and I can do a startup and I can get in the air and then nothing, you know, you do the mission, but you don't feel like you're part of something. We want you to feel like you're part of, we want you to feel like you're a part of, that is very important. And that is what we want to do. That's what we want. If I may chime in, um, just defending DCS a little bit and story-driven campaigns, because that's what I'm doing there. I think you can achieve that, but uh, I, I could totally agree and understand uh, the desire to make it as as kind of entertaining and as as, as uh, immersive as possible from your side. So the, the question here I would like to ask in a campaign that you'll have, um, obviously you'll be able to swap between different roles and different places on the plane, right? Uh, or mm -hmm. is it possible to just play from the pilot's point of view for the whole thing or from the you know, gunner, whatever? How would that work? Yeah, you'll be able to... You will leave the story and you will leave the story as a character, but you'll be able to play inside the aircraft. You'll be able to switch between the different, the different, you can be the pilot, you can be the tail gunner, you can be uh, the navigator, whatever, whatever works for you. The thing is, um, despite you, you are leaving the story of that character, you're leaving the story of that character also through the crew, which is part of you doing the missions and getting back alive and getting back to our family, right? So you'll be able to do that. Let me just add something uh, or just uh, comment on something that you said in the beginning. Um, you were saying that you were defending DCS. I'm not attacking DCS or any other sim. Okay. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, uh, when I mentioned DCS and other sims, I, and I play those sims, I was just saying that I feel that nowadays um, there's not enough soul for me personally on those sims. And um, I crave for a bit more again, personally. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting point because I I think there's a spectrum, right? In that when you look at sims today or you look at aviation programs, I mean, DCS for example, my my brother-in-law uh would never be able to to him, you know, starting it up is a waste of time. He wants to be in the middle of the action altogether. And so I wouldn't say that, you know, I think it's interesting. I think you bring up a good point that along the spectrum there is that study sim, if 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 that's legit, and then I think on the and then there's also the narrative that you want to follow around. And just like Baltic was saying, you know, he's working right now on a campaign to actually bring uh, Raven One into DCS, which is going to be great. But I think, uh, but I think to your point, you know, the average simmer may really enjoy those little detail pieces, but for the most part, there really isn't uh, an you know, a storyline to, to follow or play along with just by itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is lacking. You know, one of the things that people still talk about when, um, when they talk about a great, great examples of Sims is the fact that Falcon 4 had the dynamic campaign. So you felt, although it wasn't a story, you know, per se, it wasn't something that was written and you, you felt like you were part of this story written by someone you felt like you were part of something that was alive and going on, right? You could, I know, I know of guys that um, they didn't, disc, they didn't, um, they didn't turn their computers off when they were going to bed because they wanted the dynamic campaign to continue going on in their computers. So they felt, he felt like he was actually part of this campaign of this war of this battlefield in which things would unfold during the night as he was asleep. And, um, as he woke up and went to check what was happening, suddenly he could have lost some bases. You know, the, the front line was completely different. Uh, some squadrons were lost. Some, you know, a lot of things would would have happened during the night, and he felt like he was part of it. And people still talk about this dynamic campaign and that they were, felt they were inside that campaign and felt they were inside that campaign. No, I completely agree, and I hear you. It's just I, I felt compelled to kind of come forward. But um, my point is that, of course, if you create, uh, to put it, if you if you want to create a good storyline and you wrap the game around it, it will be completely different than if you try to create a storyline for a game that's already there. So that's the difference. So of course, you're you'll be able to do a much more immersive and better campaign because it's or, or game because the whole issue there or whole point is to make it like that. And then you will wrap the other things around the storyline, if, if that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas in DCS, it's the other way around. Yeah, I think Another... that the, 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 maybe the, you're on, you're on to exactly what I'm thinking, Baltic, is that, uh, you know, DCS is kind of a sandbox and you can play it as a sandbox. 
uh, and you can kind of make it what you want it to do. And in your case, you make these awesome missions and campaigns and people can purchase them and use them and fly them. And it feels a lot less um, lifeless than just the DCS sandbox or throwing up a couple targets to hit and going and shooting them. And then, um, and, but to, to Sergio's point and to uh, Microsoft, micro, sorry, micro prose's point, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's about making a game around a story versus adapting a story to a sandbox, or at least yeah, that's so, my interpretation of it. So yeah, if I yeah. can jump in and ask a follow-up question to that, um, you know, I, I'm curious, with your development of the game and the story and this Murphs of experience all being tied into one, um, where, like, what sort of research are you guys doing to create this story? Are you... Uh, are you finding data on actual real life people that served missions and have mission logs and things like that? Um, you know, where where are you getting a lot of this research and, and ideas from to be able to create this experience for the player? I ask myself that same question uh, when I first heard about the and um, <clears throat> excuse me, and of course I ask David about it myself about it. Ask him, look how. How is how how is it that we're going to do this? How where where are you going to get all this data? And David just told me, just started telling me about this amazing amount of material that he has access, and he even owns some of the things that were sold on whatnot. And he has files for mission diaries from guys that were that were in his aircraft, and a lot of photographs and pieces of newspaper and the amount of information that <laughs> that David David has and he sent me a few pictures it's just it's just unbelievable and overwhelming he has so much stuff that's you know it's uh, it's uh, I, as he was telling me about the things that he had access to and the material that he has I, I got goosebumps right because it was just uncanny it was unbelievable to see everything that he got his hands on and everything that he managed to get info about um which is obviously going to be used to create this backstory and to create everything a lot of the we are probably going to use some of uh, some of that material um as uh, you know scan it or photograph it or whatnot or whatever and use it as a uh, as bits of art to use inside the it's just um it's it's unbelievable it's unbelievable it's uh, I, I wasn't expecting i was expecting some research to be done but at this level, and of course we have, we are also talking to people that had relatives uh, back back in, back in the days or um, folks that work on B-17, restoring B-17s and whatnot to get some more information and some more imagery and whatnot. We have a lot of data. We have a lot of information. I, I, I was just overwhelmed when David told me what we, what we have. Um, uh, sorry, saw again. Some time ago, I'd read a, a book by the name of Combat Crew by John Comer, which was an account for 25 missions over Europe as a B-17 crew. And uh, something that's, I suppose, surprised me a bit is how much the bombers got characterized. They also they have their, uh, the nose art and uh, all have their own quirks. But mm -hmm. uh, how it became a sort of a home and, and uh, a place of safety within the combat. And how, uh, in one case, they had uh, the crew were toward the end of their career, well, their tour, and they got a bit cocky, and they decided they would paint some red uh, engine cowlings onto their aircraft, which they very thoroughly regretted after the uh, the one flight with the uh, the engines painted. Is the uh, the aircraft going to be characterized? Are we going to see quirks and customization or problems? Quirk, you know, issues with the aircraft mechanical things that uh, are renowned for that particular aircraft and part of your story. Yeah, that's that's something I don't have information about. I don't have all the documents for the. That's something I cannot at this moment. Mm. I cannot. That's a shame. But is, is it something you personally would like to see explored? Oh yeah, I would. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's it's a big part of what characterized the the, the the crews and the actual bombers. It's something that I, I would personally like to see. There, are, yeah, there's, there's, I'm sorry, the, there's there's a lot of the things in the game that we are still working working on, experiment, trying to realize if it. I don't have all the documentation and I'm, I don't have all the answers, so I cannot answer to that particular question right now. Hopefully, I can say something in a few weeks or a few. Yeah, no worries. It's uh, being in early stages of development. It can be quite difficult to uh, to avoid things like feature creep and uh, deciding yeah, what edge you're going to do. <laughs> everything can change. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great point, though, Red Kite, because having spoken to a lot of these veterans, um, they, they they echo that exact sentiment. You know, having a relationship with the aircraft, uh, having a relationship with each other, with the ground crews, and um, 
how intimate it was. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like you said, with all the documentation out there, you know, but a lot of these veterans are sadly passing away. I mean, most of them are deep into their 90s, the, the survivors, and finding firsthand uh, accounts is harder and harder. So I think this is also going to be a very good homage to uh, at least what we call here in America is the greatest generation, but to the veterans of World War II that flew base, you know, flew missions from bases in England over Europe, um, you know, during a, an incredibly hard time in world history. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's conveyed. I think to the point um, of being able to customize the appearance of your aircraft, it's also one of those hit and miss things like full sim and game story playability where there's probably a handful of people who want to do it and there's another handful that just slap something on and want to get into the story so that's that's got to be just a fine line to walk uh all the time <laughs> from almost every aspect i'd imagine of developing a game like this yeah but you you also need to uh, that's something that we need to remember is that people are going to play it multiplayer as well right? mm -hmm. from what i understand from the game design multiplayer is not exactly um it's not directly or may not be re directly related to the to the actual campaign so you'll be able to play some missions even if they are not part of the um, of the campaign right? and by doing this you'll probably want to have together your own crew one two three four five like i said up to nine other guys and fly those missions and you will want to customize your you will want to customize your b7 that's something that you want to do so even if you don't do it story-wise and perhaps for me personally, I don't think it would make sense to have to have the B-17 customized um, or change from anything that's, uh, that's, that, that is going to come in the game with those colors and, you know, the, the, the paintings on the nose and et cetera, because it, we're talking about that particular B-17 for particular story. But I think it would make all make sense to, for me to be able to um, customize it for the multiplayer and for me to be able to take some screenshots and share it with, with guys on Facebook, talk a bit about the stories that I'm living with my, with my, my fellow crew members. So I think in that sense, it does, I think it does make sense. Uh, yeah, I agree. On, on that note of having a multiplayer experience where you, as you said, you, I mean, obviously you probably haven't figured everything out yet, but, uh, if you have a couple of missions to play in multiplayer that aren't the campaign, has there been any thought of having um, a singular dynamic mission, not a campaign, not a not a dynamic campaign that's like uh, Falcon, but uh, you know, a, a randomly generated mission every time you play? That way, multiplayer doesn't get stale. Because I'd imagine if you get some of your friends together and okay, we've played all five or ten or however many missions there are, now we're never going to play it again. I'd, I'd imagine you'd want some experience like that. We want. We have some. I um i know uh i know uh, i know what we want to do i cannot i cannot tell you anything right now but we do have some ideas regarding um circling back a bit to to and i guess this kind of just goes hand in hand with having some sort of dynamicness to it um you had mentioned you know guys that uh you would leave falcon running for mm -hmm. overnight and then they'd wake up in the morning well um i myself do that <laughs> And I know that Max uh, Waldorf yeah. also does the same. He plays twenty four seven. Yeah, a twenty four seven. There you server. go, guys. Yeah, yep. There you go. <laughs> I know of two. I know of two more. Two more guys now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you um, have anything on that front, Max? Um, yeah, I, I, idea? I have. Um, I have a question though, um, because it's funny. Um, Falcon Four. When you look at your homepage, basically, is the is the title that you see that is basically showcased as uh, I would say maybe the uh, final art piece of art of Micropose, I would say before mm -hmm. you you were reborn from your ashes like the Phoenix. Um, <laughs> given given the history behind Micropose and the fact that we have uh, same titles such as Falcon 4 that has been ha having an active community for more than 20 years behind it. So there's a huge history behind it. Um, what would be your key takeaways about what you would keep as the spirit of the what was or will become again microprose and what you want to avoid uh because let's let's face it there were mistakes that were done in the past especially 
probably Falcon 4 was probably the best, um, as we say, Shadov, uh, but also uh, was the probably the the end of it. Um, so so it, it it was probably something that has maybe in the in the spirit of people a bit of mixed feeling, um, but. It, Today, uh, with the the new team, with everything that you're developing, what would be the spirit of the old micropros that you would take with you, and the thing that you will leave behind? Hmm, that's an interesting question uh, and a hard one for me to answer as well, <laughs> because um, most of my memories regarding micropros, and I was not with micropros in the in the old days. I was a gamer. I was not with the company. Um, most of my, if not all, my memories regarding micropros are actually good memories. But one of the things that I would take away and one of the things that we want to do nowadays is to capture that, that spirit that we were doing games for. I, I mentioned it before, I'm just repeating myself, but, but Microprose made games for everyone and they made several types of They made strategy games, they made uh, action games, they made uh, simulation games. And that's something that Microprose wants to do once again. We, we are... Micropro the company wants to um, have um, have a place, mostly warfare games or warfare related games. In its majority of the titles that we are we are doing or we are developing or we are assigning with developers to to produce. Uh, but we want to be able to reach out to several types of uh, gamers, several genres, several types of uh, levels of playing from the guy that again, wants to do, to have the full fidelity seem to the guy that just wants to get into the action. And what I would take, you know, the good thing on Microprose, I think that it would be it, to be a brand that provided amazing experience for a broad spectrum of gamers. What I would like for Microprose not to do, I would like Microprose not to be sold to another company again and then just put on the shelf. <laughs> that's the worst that's the worst memory I have from Microprose was Microprose disappearing. That's what I don't want to happen <laughs> pretty much. Other than that, I just want Microprose to make great games. Yeah, I would say <clears throat> for myself, I knew I I grew up with the Microprose game and uh it certainly fueled my passion for military aviation. So I know for me, I'm excited to see them coming back into the into the fold and and you know welcome them and look forward to seeing what they what you guys have to offer and are coming up. Um, is there are there you know Mighty Eighth looks fantastic. Are there other games that you guys are have in the queue or pondering or thinking or um, anything else you can share with us? I in terms of titles, I cannot share anything else. The titles that we already that we already announced, yep. but I can tell you that we have a long QE. We have a long list of games that we are going to announce throughout the next few months. Um, some of them may have may have maybe related to titles that uh, Microprose had in the past. A lot of them are new titles. We are still um, we are still trying to get some IPs back. As you know, the Microprose IPs are it's scattered. You know between several companies and we are trying to get some of the IPs, but we do, we do have a list of games. I can tell you, we have a double digit list of games to announce throughout the next few months. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So we can expect another Falcon game. Then. I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I, I, was, I was asking if you were, if you were intending to rebuy the license from Falcon. But... <laughs> All we have, I, we, we usually say that, you know, all options are on the table uh, right now. Um, all options for not only titles, but also platforms. People ask us a lot if we are releasing games for Linux or for Macs or for uh, consoles. Or, all options are on the table. If it makes sense for Microprose and if it makes sense for the community and if it's something that it will benefit the community and uh, the company, of course, we have to we have to make money, right? It's the only way we can survive as a company. Um, I know people hate to talk about money. I don't like to talk about money, but if the truth is that we need to sell those titles. We need to get you know those titles out so that we can make more titles and can give you more games or just give you other versions, new versions, better versions or DLCs and you know everything that we want. So um, if it makes sense, we will probably do it. Uh, if it doesn't make sense, yeah, we'll probably just um, don't. Are you guys looking at, um, or it would be a single purchase for your software? Or are you looking at subscription models or, there, um, or is there any kind of uh, broader discussion on, 
on the money to your point oh uh, yeah i've i've been um as you guys know i'm, I'm the community manager but i'm not so, i'm not just a community manager for micropros i also deal with uh, other things inside the company and i talk with uh, david a lot and exchange ideas a lot um I'm, uh, we, we have talked about several uh, aspects of how we could um, get people to purchase microprose games. And um, the thing that we are doing right now, we're, we're talking about one-time purchase. Okay, You're, you, you are getting the game, you purchase the game, the game is yours. Well, it's gotcha. not yours, there are licenses, okay, but it's, you, you are purchasing the game and that's, that's the model that we are following right now. We may have some other models in the future. Right now, at this time, I don't foresee any title that will be subscription based. Okay, I, I, I don't. I don't remember of any anything right now that we have on the table that will have you pay for a subscription. Gotcha. What? Well, and it won't hold you to it. Things change, but uh, I was just curious if you guys had thought through that any uh, to any extent. But all good. We we have we have thought that we there there have been discussions. Um, with the team regarding have some sort of um, of subscription to acquire, you know, having like a pass to, to acquire games, but you know, that that will force us to do some, something else. So we, we have, like I said, we have all options open. Uh, we are, we're just looking at what makes sense to us. But like I said, right now, we don't have any subscription type or anything like that, that to get out. Let's, let's get back to uh, the Mighty Eight. I actually had a couple of questions I jotted down. Um, I wanted to know, uh, how far are you in the in the process of developing the game? Are you guys still at a conceptual point? Do you guys have a demo that you work with internally to to, to explore ideas? Like, just how far along do you guys see yourselves? Yeah, um, we have some internal demos that we are using to, like I said, explore something. This is uh, we're still a bit far off from 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 really. And um, honestly, I inside Microprose, I was the one. Put pushing it to say something to the community because I felt like we were, we owe it to the community to say something. If you were paying attention for the past few months, we were releasing some screenshots and renders of parts of the B17. And people were asking about the project and they were asking about what was it that we were doing. And then we announced three titles that had nothing to do with the B17. And I tried to push this and I said, look, I know that we are still in this early development of the game. I know that we're still a bit far away from release, but I think we need to say something to the community. I think that we need to let them know what is it that we are doing because, you know, these guys are, we have teased them for so much, for, for so long, I'm sorry, we teased them for so long showing these images. And, you know, when we actually do an announcement, we are announcing three games that are not debit and they, they have nothing to do with the b17 except one of them being you know a world war ii game so we are the b17 the mighty 8 it's not going to be released for some time okay that's that's uh, you guys will have to wait we are working on it like i said I, we have internal demos and we're working on things internally um a lot of the things are working already but yeah it's still going to take a while until it's sure that and that's fine like we appreciate you guys uh, letting us know, and and obviously, um, you know, it sounds like you guys are taking it seriously, and it sounds like you guys are trying to explore every angle to make the most of the game and uh, give everybody something that they enjoy. So that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Um. So speaking of the screenshots that you guys released, I do remember the B seventeen. I think there was one in there though that was a tank. Yeah. Is that is that from this game or is that something? That hasn't that's, been that's something that hasn't been announced yet. Oh, okay. Okay. It's one of it's one of the it's one of the titles on that uh, double digit list that I'm about. <laughs> gotcha. Well, um, any anybody else uh, have anything they want to ask before uh, we wrap things up? We're getting pretty close to an hour here. Um, I think we answered fairly anything, uh, pretty much everything that was asked by the community. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the only other question is that you guys plan to release physical products or just digital downloads? That was one of the community questions. Um, apparently, one of our members likes to collect uh, di uh, non-digital goods. Yeah, that is something that we'd like to do. Yes. Oh, okay. We would, yeah, we would like to do some physical release of games, some special editions. I'm not, again, I'm not saying we will. That's something that um, we would like to do that we have talked about. But um, I cannot promise you anything or say that we will. Gotcha. It has it, it has been we have spoken about it. Yeah. And, and maybe you'll find people in twenty years still having the uh, box collection, the 
box edition from uh, like we have from Falcon 4. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that might yeah. be why they're asking for it. I'm sure we will. People love to, love to connect to, to to collect this thing. The, again, you know, we lost we lost a lot of cool stuff over the years, right? We have we have cool things right now, like you know, games are on the cloud, so we don't have to get we don't even I don't even have a DVD player in my computer anymore, right? We don't need the physical items, but it was kind of cool. It was really cool to hold those big manuals, you know, and to have all that information in a physical format and have all these boxes. I have seen so many. Um, shelves with games from microprose that people are sharing on social media it's really cool and it's it gives you this sense of it gives you this sense of belonging to this uh to this uh i don't club perhaps you know to this you know to this community it helps you get that sense it's really cool i, I love it i love this I, I still have a lot of boxes for old games including microprose games and i like to just hold the boxes and you know enjoy the art and enjoy the production of those items. It's something very cool. So we know, we understand that it's um, it's something that people like because we do like it ourselves, right? It's something that we like ourselves. So that's something that we have, we have talked about. It's something that we would like to eventually do. While I will not hold you to anything, are there any timelines or any kind of dates or things that we might be able to look forward to? Um, not right now. I cannot tell you anything. We do have some timelines internally, but nothing that we, we can disclose at this, this time. One of the things that we want to do when we give you dates to be 100% sure that we are not, um, missing any dates, at least not missing for a long, you know, uh, by, by a long shot. So although yep. we have some dates internally, we don't want to just throw them out without being, you know, sure that things are going to happen when we say they're going to happen. No, I understand completely. I but I would have been remiss if I had not tried to ask. <laughs> Look, I, I would love to tell you all the goods that you know, all the good things. But yeah, I have to. We have to keep some secrets. You guys have to, you know, keep on being curious and asking us now and then. You know? <laughs> oh, we'll keep asking. <laughs> um, uh, I, I bet you will. <laughs> I hope you will. Yeah. Uh, Red Kite, did you have something? I was going to say, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're very excited for what, you're, uh, what you can't talk about with us <laughs> and to, uh, yeah, to keep our ears to the horizon and see what comes up. Yeah, it's, it's one of the worst parts of what I do. I have some, some details I don't have, some other details I have. In general, I can tell you that I am extremely excited for what Microprose is going to, what, for what, my, what Microprose is doing already and then what they will do. I'm really excited. I'm, um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a fantastic job. I think it's going to be fantastic. As a gamer, as someone that loved microprose, and as someone that has been experimenting, experiencing the game throughout the years and have seen the technology advance so far, getting someone like David to bring back this brand and understand what motivates David and understand that he's all about making great games and um, being part of I'm, I'm starting to sound like I'm a marketing guy here, but the truth is I'm really excited as a gamer to have someone like David Lagerty pick up Microprose. I'm really excited and very happy to be able to part of this experience, or not experience, but to be part of this of this project beyond this path with. So um, is, trying to figure out how to word this, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have kind of a personal question for you then. Um, yeah. You said you grew up uh, playing the Microprose games. Um, and and now you get to work for Micropose. What what was that experience like for you? I mean, I would imagine when you saw there was a job or something was offered to you, you you jumped on it, and uh, that can be pretty exciting. Yeah, it was um, it was one of those things that you never expect to happen. You know, when I was when I was when I was younger, talking about twenty years ago, uh, even even earlier than that, I, I wanted to work in the gaming. But um, the thing is, you know, I live in Europe. I mean. Uh, I'm in Portugal, so it's it's a country that didn't have any kind of gaming, gaming industry or gaming companies or whatnot. If I wanted to do games, I would have probably I would probably have to actually move to the UK or the US or something like that, which was something that I couldn't do. But I loved games, and um, I started pursuing my career as a as a developer, not as a game developer, but as a, as a developer because I wanted to make games and learn how games worked. Um, I do development in a completely different area. I've been doing developing development for 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 a long time, for over 20 years, um, and also working with communities since then for other games, etc. And back then, I never thought that I would 
even, you know, speak to someone from Microprose, let alone actually work for the company. And after the company shut down, um, that that's a dream that just vanishes, right? You know, there's no more Microprose or Microprose disappeared. When I heard that Microprose was back, David Legacy was bringing it back and that things were happening in the background. Um, and I managed to actually talk to David and get a job at Microprose. It was um, a very weird, almost like a dream feeling. You know, it's, uh, I almost had to pinch myself to, <laughs> to actually realize that I, I was not dreaming. For a gamer from back then, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. That sounds awesome. Well, I'm I'm really glad that worked out for you, and I'm, uh, you know, Thank very you. thankful for you to come on here and talk to us about what Microprose has, uh, future and current. And um, unless anybody else has anything else to ask, uh, I think we can wrap it up there. Nobody. It's like asking <laughs> questions at the end of you know a meeting at my work. I <laughs> think I think just they just fell asleep from listening <laughs> to me. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, all right. Well, Sergio, Sergio, thank you again for coming on here. We do re uh, really appreciate it. And uh, it was a pleasure and an honor. And uh, we look forward to uh, what maybe another one of these in the future when you guys have some more um, titles to announce or more information on titles that are coming out. Yeah, sure. Thank you for, very much for having me. Thank you guys for listening to me for all questions and for the patience for the questions that I could not answer. I would love to return someday when we have something else um, to talk about. And um, I hope, you know, that you guys will enjoy the experience of playing Microprose's games as much as we will certainly have by making them for you. I'm sure we will. And uh, yep, again, thank you. And uh, we'll definitely get you back on here uh, in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Thank All right, everybody. You. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Air Combat Sim Podcast. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions.